Well, good evening. My name is John McCombs. I'm one of the assistant pastors. I want to welcome you uh, to the evening service with the doors open. It's a newer thing. Right? I want to welcome you to the evening service with bathrooms right over there. It's a newer thing. I want to welcome you to the evening service where we can hang out over there afterwards as opposed to everybody stuffed in the corner back there around some Oreos and some coffee. Okay, so welcome, uh, welcome, welcome. Uh, we've uh, been preaching through the book of First Peter here in the evening, and uh, tonight we're going to be in uh, verse, uh, chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there now, but it's printed for you on page 6 of uh, your bulletin. As is our custom here in the evenings, uh, after I read God's Word, I'll say this is the Word of the Lord, and if you could respond with thanks be to God. So hear now God's Word. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we come now to your word. We ask that you would be pleased to speak to us. Father, we come acknowledging that we need to hear from you. Lord, we don't have everything figured out. Lord, with ourselves, with the world around us. And so, Father, would you be pleased to speak as to how we are to uh, interact uh, with those in authority over us, government officials, uh, Lord, with each other in the coming weeks as we look at the relationships uh, that you have us take up in this world. So, Father, be pleased to speak. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, now I want to preface this. There are no cameras in here. Nobody's counting. Um, But I just want to ask this question. If you are an American citizen, there's there's nobody around here but us, right? If you're an American citizen, whether natural born or naturalized, would you raise your hand? I'm curious, how many American citizens do we have among? Because there can be a bit of an international crowd at city at times. Okay, it's most of us. Okay. It's most of us. All right, so we are citizens of these United States of America, the land of the free and the home of the brave. And if you're an American citizen, uh, I, I trust you understand our painful history uh, with regard to being the land of the free. That in this country there were years and years and years in which certain people were not free by virtue of the color of their skin. It's a difficult past. And this is not to say that we're beyond all that, because we're not. But in a country in this day and age where Many have so many freedoms that so many others around the world do not have. So in this day and age where so many of us have so many freedoms that many around the world just don't have, I find that we have difficulty. We have a hard time understanding freedom from a biblical perspective. What does it mean to be free? I think this text helps us out tonight. And I think the next uh, 
coming weeks, as we look through 1 Peter, the end of chapter 2 and chapter 3, it's going to show us how we are to exercise that freedom in all of our relationships. So tonight we'll dive in at verse 16 and we'll start with this theme right, of living as people who are free. Verse 16 says this, We are to live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. That's where I want to start tonight. And that's kind of where I want to end up too. What does that freedom look like? So we have to start by asking some questions. What is freedom? What are we freed from? What are we freed to? Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, it's printed on page 7 uh, in your additional scriptures, says this, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. If Christ has set us free for freedom, we want to understand that. So let's start off just by saying what freedom is not. Freedom is not an absence of all rules. It's not an absence of all restrictions or laws. Although often I think in America that's the way we think of it. It's a free country, right? I mean, I I don't know if you've heard that today. Maybe you didn't hear it today or this last week, but even though it's only March, I bet you've heard it this year, right? It's a free country, right? Does that mean no laws? Like there are no laws here? Well, far from it. So so, so, uh, freedom... Right? Uh, it's not the absence of laws or rules. Right? Uh, it, it is, uh, if we had no rules, if we had no laws, that would not be liberty, that would not be freedom, that would be anarchy. The end of the book of Judges talks about that pretty clearly. Everybody doing what's right in their own eyes. In Scripture, uh, in our, our reading today, as, as James read earlier, chapter 6 Uh, verse 18 in the book of Romans, it tells us this. Uh, Let me back up to verse 17. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Now verse 18. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. It's very clear that freedom in Scripture is being set free from sin. Our own sin, our own slavery to sin, that's what freedom is in Scripture. First and foremost, from the penalty of that sin, but also from the power of that sin. If you want to read more on that, go back to Romans chapter 6, the verses before. Read 1 through 14, and you'll read about the dominion of sin. So we've been set free from the penalty, and we've been set free from the power. We haven't been set free from the presence of sin yet. That's coming. We pray to that end. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Christ is coming to do that once and for all. And we've been set free from sin by the free gift of God, which we find in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So here in in verse 16, then, are we to use our newfound freedom as a cover-up for sin? Well... WWPS, right? What would Paul say? (laughs) What would he say in the book of Romans? He'd say three words, by no means. Of course, we have not been set free. Being set free from the law is never an excuse to break the law. We can't continue in sin that grace may 
abound. We've been set free to live, now coming back to Peter's words, as servants of God. We've been set free to become servants of God. That servant word is the same word as slave, doulos. Right? We've been set free from sin in order to become slaves to God, servants of God, slaves of righteousness, as Paul would say. Quite a paradox, isn't it? That our slavery to sin, it ran so deep that we could not be servants. We were at enmity with God, so we were set free to do that very thing. Galatians 5, 13 and 14, also in your additional scriptures, will say that this way, for you were called to freedom, brothers, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So Galatians says it that way. Let's, let's see what this text looks like in terms of that. Right? The application is going to be narrower here. It's going to start off right, applying this idea of freedom primarily with respect to the government. Okay? With those appointed in authority over us. In this country, those elected in authority over us. Uh, So verses 13 and 14 will say that this way. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. So we're told here right from the get-go to be subject to, right? This is a command to submit ourselves to emperors, governors, those in our local governments, right? That's the first thing we're told in this text that we're kind of free to do, right? We're free to be a good citizen. We are free to obey the government. Now, it's a bit odd uh, saying that we're free to do what we're required to do, isn't it? I mean, that's kind of what we're required to do as citizens, so we're free to do that. So it is a bit odd to think about it that way, but if we're honest... We don't actually do it all that well, do we? So we're free to do this thing that we're commanded to do, uh, which is obey the, the, the rules and laws of our government. Yet we still don't do it well. Any, any C.S. Lewis fans here? Have you read Mere Christianity? Have you read the first chapter, like the very first chapter, book one, chapter one, where he's talking right, uh, uh, about how we know two things right, about this law of nature. Okay. Or this law of human, it was originally just kind of a law of nature. It's this law of human nature, right? And, and before I get to the two things, he'll talk about how this law operates differently than the other laws in our universe. Right? So uh, if you climb up on the top of the building, right, and, and, and jump off, you, you don't have a choice to obey the law of gravity. It's just going to happen. And you're going to feel the pain for making that choice. But the law of nature, the law of human nature, works differently. You see, we actually can choose to obey or disobey it. And what he says in that chapter is that there's really two things that we know about this law. One is that it exists. You just, we just can't escape it. So read, read that book one, chapter one, if you're really itching. You can even find it free online. We know this law exists. And secondly... We know we don't keep it. 
We know there's a law of nature that exists. There are things, moral imperatives that we should do. And we also know that we don't keep it, that we are lawbreakers. So verse 14 here in the text, maybe it's giving us a bit of a pass with regard to government. Then it's saying being, be subjects, right? Every human institution, emperors, governors. Um, maybe 14 gives us a pass. Order governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. So we might be tempted to ask the question, what if the government is not promoting good? What if it's not punishing evil? Then do we have to be subject? Do we have to submit ourselves to it? I don't don't think we're off the hook there. I don't think we can use that as a free pass, and and here's why. Well, the, the, the best government in history that ever existed, and for any non-U.S. citizens in here, I don't pretend that it's ours. I don't pretend it's these United States. But the very best government, whichever one it is, it hasn't done it perfectly. It hasn't always punished the evil. It hasn't always promoted the good. It has not done it perfectly. That does not happen this side of eternity. Let's look at the other end of the spectrum. The worst government in history. Just like the best government didn't get it right all the time, the worst government doesn't get it wrong all the time. By God's common grace. So even some of the most corrupt governments out there still do things that do promote good and that punish evil. So God's common grace, as a result, we can't reject even the worst government out there. But you don't understand, we have president fill in the blank. Because as we go back in our lifetimes, there would have been different people saying that with every president. You don't understand, we have this president. Hmm. Really? Um, have you put together uh, who was the emperor when Peter wrote this epistle? It would have been a guy named Nero. Right. Do you know anything about that guy? Hmm. I mean, it's possible to have someone worse than him. I'm not saying he's the very worst, so that rules out right, everyone. And everyone has to be at least as good as Nero, but wow, a lot of stuff going on. I invite you to read about that. Right? Read about his reign from 54 to 68 AD in, in Rome. You will not be encouraged. So Peter, as he's writing to us, is writing, as we talked about at the beginning of 1 Peter, at least... No, no earlier than 60 AD. No later than 68 AD. He's writing in the 60s when things were really getting hot and heavy in Rome. So as far as I see from Scripture, there are only really two grounds for disobeying government authority. There are really only two grounds for disobeying government authority for what we might call civil disobedience from Scripture. Uh, the first would be if the government requires us to do something that breaks God's law. If whoever it is over, uh, in charge of us requires us to do something that breaks God's law, then we can't do it. Okay? Then we have a duty to disobey. And there was an example of that uh, in the news this past week in the city of Pittsburgh with new legislation right, uh, regarding uh, conversion therapy for minors. And one of the pastors of our presbytery said if you was there... So if you, if you pass this law, I'm going to have to break it. 
I can't not break this law. I will suffer the consequences. I understand there'll be consequences. He didn't necessarily say that. He just said, I'll have to break this law. That's biblical. It's scriptural. Acts chapter 3 and chapter 4. That's what we see uh, them do. The second uh, would be if the government forbids us from doing something that God commands. So there is reason, warrant, in Scripture for civil disobedience. I think it lines up in those two places and those two alone. And so aside from that, we are free to be subject to every human institution otherwise. And we're free to do this for the Lord's sake. Romans chapter 13 verses, I'll just read the first couple verses, it's in your additional uh, scriptures there. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. This is very helpful. All authority is instituted by God. And we don't have to like it. We don't have to agree with it, but when we submit to it, we're acknowledging and consenting to that very fact. That's just where we are in this time, in this era. We have the leaders whom God has appointed, uh, for better or uh, for worse, from an earthly standpoint. Surely the servants of God right, should submit to the government that he has established. I don't know if this is always a radical concept, but certainly it would be today. I mean, I'm only 41 years old, and you, know, you don't start following politics until maybe you're in college, or at least back then you didn't. Now, like, teenagers are into this stuff, and middle schoolers, right? Because they got phones, and they're digging into it all the time, and they know what's going on out there, much more so than we did, at least when I grew up. So I don't know if it's always been such a radical concept, but it certainly would be today, where nearly, let me use a little hyperbole, half of the country, at any given time, it seems, is doing everything in its power to stifle... <laughs> the leaders on the other side of the aisle. Like that's just the way political discourse is today in this country. And, and not just at the presidential level, but at states and local. It's just like, all right, it's a stalemate. We need to do everything in our power to resist until it's our turn. And that's not really the picture that scripture paints. It's to be subject right, to every human institution and to do it above all for the Lord's sake. So we're free, as we talk about right, being free to live as people who are free. We're free, first of all, to be citizens, to be subject to every human institution, to be good citizens. Uh, verse 15, though, I want to move on here. We are free to do good. We're free in the gospel of Jesus Christ to do good, but I want to qualify that. You may suffer for it. Verse 15 says this, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. This really flows out of verse 11, verse 12, where Naaman finished uh, last week, where we're we, we read, and it's in your additional scriptures, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, flesh which wage war against your souls. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Uh, verse 15 in the text here says, For this is the will of God. Let me say that one more time. For this is the will of God. It doesn't say that too many times in Scripture, does it? 
And that's a question we ask all the time. So if I, if I were you, I'd be like, not that I have anything so profound to say, I'd be on the edge of your seat like Chrissy Kerber is back there. She's like leaning forward like, this is the will of God? Ears ought to perk up, right? Wow, it doesn't say it all that much in Scripture. And so sometimes we're just left not to wonder, but we have to search that out. But some points it's so clear that this is the will of God, that we have been set free from sin to do good. Think Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 10. And to do good, and for that good, to put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Now, does that mean they'll be completely quiet? Is that what this text is saying? Well, I think if we go back to verse 12, we see it already said they're going to speak against you as evildoers. So I think the best way to understand this is there'll be no basis for arguments against you if you're doing what's good, whether they admit it or not. The SV Study Bible says it this way, the godly lives of believers will put to silence any false charges raised against them. So people will rage. They might rage against you. They might do so because ultimately they're raging against God. You're doing good is a witness to the one who is good, with a capital G. (laughs) We're not good in that way. So say you leave here tonight, and you head down to the waterfront. Anybody going that way? Has it been decided yet? Dinner crew, where everybody's going tonight? Because if you notice, my family's not here, so I could be, and I'm on spring break this week, so I could be joining you. I don't don't know if I'm invited. I've been invited in the past, but I know you guys have quit and given up on me at this point. I'm begging and pleading for another invitation tonight, so long as my wife's doing okay at home. Um, so let me just grovel a bit. But if you're going down Browns Hill Road, and you're going over the Homestead Grays Bridge, what a name, what history, the Homestead Grays. You're going down that bridge, and uh, what's the speed limit there, by the way? 25. Yeah, it's 25. Whew. Um, who drives that? Oh, all right. What happens if you do? Road rage. Plain and simple road rage. Uh, and for what? Why, why the road rage? Because you're breaking the law, right? No, it's actually because you're keeping the law. Right? So do we have any right to break that law? No, we don't, but everybody's raging at you because you're keeping that law. Of course not. There's no right to break that law. Uh, is, is there some matter of salvation at stake here? With the speed limit on the homestead grace? Is there some matter of salvation at stake? Sometimes we like to pretend that as Christians. like, Especially, is there some matter, right? Not even if you're going to fill in the restaurant. There's no matter of salvation at stake, even if you're going to purgatory. There you go, right? Even if your destination is purgatory, there's no matter of salvation at stake. Listen to what Sproul says here. Um, this is on his commentary on 1 Peter. Uh, here's he says, he's talking about submission. In verse 13, uh, first, we must not wait to be coerced into submission. Submission is something we are uh, to initiate and are responsible to do. We are to submit ourselves to every ordinance of man. And he goes on to say, in my neighborhood, there are stop signs on every corner. 
Somebody spent a lot of money for nothing because at least eight in ten people give a hint of slowing down but never come to a direct stop. They do not submit to the ordinance. A friend of mine, a Christian, ran a stop sign while I was riding with him and I asked, didn't you see that stop sign? He replied, yes, but I'm not going to let a little bit of tin and red paint control my behavior. Now, isn't that spiritual? Isn't that a real spiritual answer that sometimes we can kind of, right, assuade our consciences? Uh, on all kinds of reasons, I don't pretend to drive the speed limit all the time, uh, and usually it's my own fault. I tend to be late for things, right? Uh, so we all have our reasons as to why we break the law, and we are all lawbreakers. None of those reasons are usually justified, and we need to be honest with that, right? So what's controlling our behavior then, or rather who's controlling our behavior? That's just a simple example, and it's one that we kind of laugh at, even though almost all of us are guilty. But all of us, apart from Christ, are a law unto ourselves. We don't submit. We can't submit. We won't submit. And you can't make me. Until Christ sets us free from ourselves and from our slavery to sin, that's, that's who we are. But in Christ, you actually can you're free to do good, and, and, and in this day and age, and maybe in most day and ages, I don't pretend, I only live in this day and age, it's going to stick out like a sore thumb. You're free to disagree with everything from stop signs and speed limits to foreign and economic policy. You're even free to work through God-ordained appropriate channels to bring about change in those areas. You're even free to run for office and be a direct part of that change. But until it happens, we're not free to disobey. And when you disagree but don't disobey, you're bearing witness to Christ. Someone just might ask you for a reason for the hope that lies within you. But I'm kind of getting ahead of us. That's 1 Peter chapter 3. They might just ask you why it is like you're following the speed limit. Believe me, everybody behind you is wondering. <laughs> and you know they're wondering. Right? They think you're crazy. They think you're nuts. Right? So not only, it's not only following though God's laws. I don't want to define this that. Now. It's not only following God's laws that will get us in trouble with the world. At times following the, the world's laws get us in trouble with the world. Their own laws. The laws we make up as people. Right? Um, even if they're just. We may very well when we follow the laws of this world or God's laws, suffer. It can lead to suffering. This book is about suffering. But you're free to suffer in this way. While everyone behind you is blaring the horn. You're free to suffer as a witness that Christ might be exalted. So we're free to be good citizens. We are free to do good. But we might suffer for it. In fact, we probably will. There's a few more things we're free to do, we learn in verse 17 and following. Uh, sorry, just verse 17. We are uh, free to honor everyone. We're free to love the brotherhood. We're free to fear God. We are free to honor the emperor. You see, in Christ, we are free to honor all. Like without exception. 
Because by God's grace, we understand the inherent dignity and worth each person possesses by virtue of simply being made in His image. So you're free to honor all. You've been set free from making those decisions. From thinking you're better than this person because you're male, she's female. Because you're the boss, right? And they're the employee, right? Because you're the adult, they're the child. Because uh, you're black, they're white. However it goes, you're free. Like you are free to see people as God's image bearers. Now we're broken. Okay, we're marred. But the image is not gone. And we're free to view each other and honor each other in that way. You are free to love the brotherhood. That is the body of Christ. You are free to love all God's adopted sons and daughters. You are free to love them as you love yourself. You do not have to look out for number one all the time. You can look to the interests of others. You are free to fear God. That is to live in a right relationship with Him. Acknowledging He is your creator and utterly distinct from you. And that you are His creation. That you're utterly dependent upon Him for even your very next breath. You're free to live that way. Like you've been set free to live that way. And you're free not just to fear him, but you're free to fear only him. As you'll see from Peter's last imperative here, honor the emperor. You are free to honor the emperor. In this country, the most direct representation would be the president. You're free to honor him. You're free to honor senators, congressmen, women, local officials, the mayor of the city. You are free to honor them, but you don't have to fear them. Ever. That's reserved for God alone. You're free to honor them just the same way you would any other person. You're free to do that. In fact, you're commanded to do that. You're also free to honor the office which they hold, which they occupy, which God has put them in in this season of life. So living as people who are free. Is that your desire? To experience the fullness of freedom in the Lord Jesus Christ in this life and all that comes with it. The joy and the ridicule. The sanctification and the suffering. And more than anything else, the glory that awaits you when he returns. You're free to do all those things. In Christ, for freedom, he has set us free.